everyone, and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking us. us. Okay, great episode, everybody. I, I think if Jess had the opportunity to just bail on this episode, <laughs> I think she might do it. Not because we think the movie's bad at all. I'm exhausted. She was so stressed out. And we had a particularly challenging movie theater experience this time anyway. Yeah. Every, if it was my pet peeve or something that irritates the living crap out of me, it was occurring in this theater. Yeah, there was a, uh, there was a steady rhythmic squeaking that happened from the time we sat down till the time we left it the theater. It sounded like a broken ceiling fan. Yeah. And then whoever was behind us who kept kicking the seats for the whole movie. Yeah. I did ask twice. Mm-hmm. Well, I more was like, hi, my seat won't stop shaking. Nothing happened. Also, I think that person was dead asleep. I actually thought they were dead at some point. Yeah. And then people in front of me, because I had to sit, lean forward the whole time, were on their phones. And then there was a baby. There was a baby in this theater. It reminded me of when we were still dating and you were in Chicago, we went and saw Rob Zombie's Halloween, the oh, first yeah. one. And the people right in front of us had like a, still an infant in that movie theater with them. Wasn't it that movie too that there was like a dad with like maybe an eight year old that made them watch it? I can't remember that part of it. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm so stressed out. Yeah. But back to the movie. But this movie is stressful already. And yeah. one of the things I thought was so good about it is this, um, I, and I did mention this to Jordan in the theater, is the persistent sound design. Mm-hmm. There was never just a hint of a noise. The noise never went away. And then it took, take the music of Get Out, it's the same composer, but then add just add horror to it and I just ha ha <laughs> yeah as far as the sound design goes a lot of times when I'm working on a project like I just finished doing a short horror movie it was about like 20 minutes long or something like that and overall it was really good I got to do the music I got to do the sound design I had a lot of fun doing it but typically for sound design uh there are times where it's like, okay, well, you know, there's going to be this scene here that needs a lot of it, and this scene here that needs a lot of it, and then just make sure that everything fits the picture for the rest of it, but focus on these two scenes. And this one, like, I think the sound designers probably were working 20-hour days on this to make sure that every noise they put in there was in your face, and in the best possible way. Yeah, this is by no means, like, sometimes you're just like, oh my god, get up, like, get over it. This was like very persistently noisy, mm-hmm. but I was already like on a like seven. Yeah. And I was like, ha, ah, ah, ha, I, I almost made the executive decision to leave the movie and be like, we'll just see it and do the episode another time. Just the problem is, is like our schedules are so insane right now. Yeah. So anyways, um, uh, I'm on it. I'm at a nine right now. I've come down. A little bit. I'm going to do my best to keep you on track this episode. And thus far, the drink of the podcast. Um, what? Well, our drink of the podcast is the champagne that we had left over from Dumbo because we needed to get home and start talking about this so I can decompress. Yeah. But yeah, we were actually going to like go run errands in between things afterwards, but it's like, nope, we're getting this over. With. I gotta talk about it. I just gotta get this off my chest. You can't wait for Pet Cemetery. Ah! <laughs> 
Oh my God. Which Pet Cemetery has like one of my like crawl up your spine freak out moments in the original. I see what you did there. Oh, it wasn't on purpose. Uh, Oh no, you were talking about a different thing, aren't we? I was talking about the Achilles cut. I was talking about the uh, wo- about the woman with the spine disease. Oh no! Uh. I was talking about the Achilles cut. It freaks me out when I see it in Pet Cemetery. My whole body feels like there's spiders on it. Like I can't mm-hmm. deal. Um, but so I, I'm really glad to be sitting here talking about this movie. We obviously um, really love horror movies. Uh, ah! I, Jessica doesn't actually react this way to most horror movies. I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm wondering how much of it is the theater and how much of it is the movie. Um, I think it was a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie did just genuinely, and the ending weirded me out. Yeah. Um, and I could because I like... I'm coming, I'm like, I'm coming off of some yeah. nights and I'm come like, I'm, so I think there's a perfect storm happening in this like tiny body of mine right now. Well, real quick, I'm going to make Jessica take a few deep breaths. Uh, while she does that, I'm going to finish up the rest of our housekeeping. Uh, there's no dog in the podcast. Charlie just walked by the door, looked inside and <laughs> kept on doing what he does. Uh, we, um, what you- would have been your ideal drink of the podcast? If we have could have gone on any adventure and gotten, you know, the, you know, on fire Maha Tiki drink, Honest, what would it be? Honestly, to me, this is a, this is a whiskey movie. Ooh. Because, because it is so stressful that you need to just like take that cowboy shot of whiskey afterwards. I see. Um, so we skipped ahead a lot. I didn't mean to. I know you didn't mean to. I think this is just going to be the feel of the episode today. Uh, I'm I, sorry for what I did so when I, did, I saw us. Uh, so I didn't actually go to school for uh, to study psychiatric evaluation, but apparently that's what I'm doing today. Um, so we have no dog of the podcast. We've got our drink of the podcast. Now yeah. let's rate this sucker. Yes. Should we rate it in scissors? I think we should. All right. You go first. Uh, no. Okay. You go first. All right, put in my place. This, this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be an episode you can listen to. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm gonna go on ahead and give it four scissors. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why? Uh, because I thought it was a really effective horror movie. Okay. There were yeah. a lot of layers to it. Um, honestly, it was just as uh, thematically rich as Get Out was, um, just in a different way. This one's actually a lot more, I think, a lot more subtle than Get Out. Um, in terms of the point that it's making. Which I'm sure not sure what that is yet. We'll, we'll talk about We'll that. get into there. We'll dive head in first. Yeah, I had a pretty good handle on it from a few things that, that they said in the movie. Uh, and then when I did my IMDb-ing, it kind of confirmed what I was gotcha. thinking. I was definitely not on my A game in like really analyzing this movie this movie just uh, came at me honestly i think if you want to oh there's a madison walking by the door now oh she's being oh everyone we're gonna take a steve Irwin moment there's a madison in the backyard actually dogging Mm -hmm. now what's amazing about the american bully breed at least the one that we have aka the pigopotamus um doesn't love outdoor outdoorsing so much and she is full tilt outdoorsing and charlie we've got this monkey grass in the middle of our yard charlie is full out dogging as per usual jordan he's like i can only see his tail yeah full out charlie just kind of he's always loved to disappear in tall plants 
Uh, when he was a little puppy, we lived with Jessica's parents for a while, and they had this garden right outside the back door where we'd take him to go pee. Um, and he used to just dive straight in there, and it would be like watching Jurassic Park, where you could only yeah. see where he was based upon where the uh, where the plants were, mo- were moving. Yeah, right now he's like Pepe Le Pew. You mm-hmm. know how you can only see his tail as yeah. he frolics? Mm-hmm. That's what's happening right now. Um, so I feel better. I, I've had we had a, like a nature moment. Um, I'm ready to rate this movie. Okay. Uh, other things I was going to say about it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I wasn't done yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to forgive you. Um, no, I really like the music to it. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peele really is just a fantastic director. Yeah. Um, I thought the performances were great. When is Lupita Nyong'o not good? Uh, I was going to say this exact same thing. Yeah. Um, re- I mean, to like bring your A game, to bring your Oscar A game... To a horror film? Well, and i that's Great. something I want to talk about later on in the episode, too, because, you know, honestly, you, me- you know how it always used to be sci-fi movies were the ones that would comment on, like, you know, societal issues and things like that. Yeah. It's become horror movies doing that. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about what's going on with horror movies now, is that they're no longer, like, you know, and there, there are definitely some horror movies out there that aren't as smart as others. You know, of course. And there's always going to be torture porn out there. Yeah. And, you know, and honestly, there's a place for that. We both are on the record by saying that we love the first Saw movie. Um, and then, like, the remake of The Hills Hat of Eyes, which is pretty torture porny, is actually pretty good. Um, Ooh, but, it is. But, uh, but, like, now horror movies have more, have more freedom to comment on society now, which I think is really good. And I think that's why you're getting a lot of talent behind it. Yeah. Um, no, I I just thought this was a really good horror movie. I think that I think that you need to see it multiple times if you want to get all the layers that are going on in there. Like, there's some visual imagery where I'm like, I'm I know he chose that for a reason, but I don't know what that is yet. Yeah. Uh, this is one that I can see wanting to rewatch again, possibly even more so than Get Out. I disagree, but I love Get Out. Yeah. I love Get Out. Get Out to me, I think, is a more complete movie, but this is definitely more of a I'm gonna watch a horror movie, you know? Yeah, I can see that. Like as whenever we saw Get Out, as uh, somebody who's just watched so many, 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 many horror movies, I could kind of tell the beats as they were going, but I know that's not really the whole point of the movie. Uh, so for me, as somebody who just sometimes just wants to watch a horror movie, this is one I could see that might be a little more rewatchable. I can see that. But it's your turn now. Um, so I'm going to also give it four scissors. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm giving it four scissors because it, it was, the action was terrific. The sound design like had my skin crawling mm-hmm. and it really was just, all it did was show, like it just was persistent in the, the sounds. Once a sound was created, it didn't stop mm-hmm. until that sound was officially gone. Yeah. And um, I thought the movement in this was insane. Um, Oh, shoot. I meant... So I pulled up some names because I thought the action in this was really incredible. Uh-huh. Um, Because I agree with everything that you said. Um, Lupita Nyong'o had... Uh, two stunt doubles. Um, one of them is an actual friend of mine, Janisha Adams Jinyard. Um, she's really well known for Black Panther as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keisha Tucker was the other double. Um, Freddie Smith was the little boy double. And oh, he was on point. My 
God. I just did, sent him a text. Did he do the big thing at the end too? I think so. Wow. Yeah, I think so. I just texted Freddie. Let me ask him, did you do the fire burn? Um, um, I, I, I was going to recommend that you don't say what that is yet. Oh, that's true. Uh, I won't say any further. Um, I may, I may believe it out. We'll see. Oh, okay. I don't think it gives it away. Um, but the, the, um, oh no, no, I know who did that. Oh, it was, uh uh-huh. Is it another friend of yours? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. Did they they film this one a lot in Atlanta? No, I don't believe so. This was, um, I'm pretty sure from the end of the credits, it was 100% California. Gotcha. Because, I mean, obviously the Santa Cruz scenes were uh, Santa Cruz scenes, were like shot in Santa Cruz. Um, Uh, Santa Barbara. Oh, really? Yeah. Gotcha. Well, um, the boardwalk, the, the Santa Cruz boardwalk was actually Santa Cruz. Oh, okay. Um, um, and then, but like, I could see, I could see like the scenes at the houses being a Georgia thing. It wasn't. There was, um, this is all, um, uh, this is a, an LA crew. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to pull up, they don't have this, uh, come on IMDB, get your thing together. I'm tr- was trying to do a shout out to the stunt coordinator and the fight coordinator because the fight at the end with the, it's the, mm-hmm. when, the the ballet fight, yeah, yeah, whoa, yeah. great. Um, the I mean the action had me on the edge of this my seat. Like there were, I mean, just people were really, really great. And I thought, and I I'm trying to find her name, and I'm not being very successful right now. But the movement coach, mm-hmm. um, and you find out, I'm not. This is not a spoiler, but these they're, these these creatures. Yeah, right? well, I mean, and you can figure that out from the previews. Yeah. They're, they're doppelgangers. Yeah, but the creatures, very specifically, I say meat and creatures, mm-hmm. um, is the choices that was made both physically and vocally was really interesting. Yeah, and I, there's definitely a lot to talk about there once we get into spoilers. Yeah, too. exactly. Um, so I'm, not, I'm just looking at the music department, too. I mean, there's just so many amazing people that really worked on this. And I look yeah, at the... Actually, this doesn't usually happen, but I have a uh, friend who worked on this. Um, John Rod was the uh, mixing engineer for the score on this movie. And you guys have definitely heard John's work. He's done everything. Chances are John's worked on multiple movies that you've seen without you even knowing it. Uh, he's really good at what he does. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a skill. You're very yeah. good at mixing. I know it's not your joy, mm-hmm. but you're very good at it. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I know uh, it's not your joy, but you're uh, really good at it. John, as far as I'm concerned, he's right up there with Dennis Sands, who is like the, like, if if people know mixers and like score mixers in Hollywood, Dennis Sands is one of the biggest. But as far as I'm concerned, John Rod is right up there. I mean, and like... Again, we don't know each other that well, but I've reached out to him, been like, hey, what do you think about this? How do you accomplish this? And he's always been super gracious to uh, get back to me on things. So Love it. Yeah. So, I mean, and he did a great job. The mix of the score in this. Like, yeah. The, and you could hear every instrument. And it was a very... Should we just talk about the score real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'm trying to find the... Um, the movement coach. Mm-hmm. So, you keep talking. I am listening, but I really want to give her a shout out because... The- whoa. Totally. Okay, keep so keep going. So um, this was scored again by Michael Abels, who did Get Out as well. Yes. Um, His story is great. So Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, or aren't 
familiar with Michael Abels. Michael Abels is a composer. Uh, he tried to break into film scoring because uh, he, he's an older gentleman. Like, he's not an old man, but he's definitely not... Like, whenever you think of, like, you know, oh, his first film was Get Out, you think that he's probably some plucky young kid that Jordan Peele picked up from obscurity. Um, Michael Abels tried to get into film scoring as a younger man, and it just never happened. So he ended up taking up a teaching position at a uh, at uh, an art school in Santa Monica, I believe. Uh, and he still continued to compose and you know put on performances of his work uh, with orchestras and everything. Jordan Peele was looking for specifically an African American composer for Get Out, and he was having a hard time finding anybody. So he went on like a YouTube thing, which is what Hans Zimmer does as well. That's how Hans Zimmer finds people: is he go- just goes on YouTube binges. And he found a he found a composition, a performance uh, by Michael Abels, and he loved it. And he brought him on to Get Out. Uh, after Get Out. Steven Spielberg reached out to uh, Jordan Peele and was just like, you found your John Williams. You need to keep using him on everything you do. This needs yeah. to be your guy. And I I mean, and Jordan Peele, to his credit, was like, well, I was already thinking that. But once Steven Spielberg tells you that, you kind of have to stick with it. Oh, you know? yeah. Um, so Michael Abels, you know, he did get out and then he went on and did us. He also... Uh, in between the two, he worked on that uh, Catherine Bigelow movie, Detroit. Yes. Um, James Newton Howard was the primary composer, but Michael Abels is credited, credited for ambient music on that. Okay. Um, but the score in this movie, it's definitely, like you indicated, more of a horror score uh, than yeah. Get Out was. Um, it definitely has a lot of the tropes that you find in like horror movies. Yes, but Get Out wasn't a horror. It was horrible things happened. Yeah. Um, but they, he definitely leaned into the, to the genre, which I found was very successful. Yeah. And like, you know, and I mean this in the best possible way, you know, it was a lot of things like, you know, Marco Beltrami did like in Scream yeah. uh, and things like that. But what I really liked, it had some very interesting instrumentation on there. For one thing, you know, like one of the first pieces of score that you hear is a, is a choir. And I can't tell what they're saying, but it just gets progressively weirder and weirder. Yeah. And it's like in a completely normal part of the movie. Yeah. And you're like, ah! And, um, you know, it doesn't sound like he's using a huge orchestra. It sounds like the the strings in question weren't like a big 60-piece string orchestra. No, I mean, I'm looking, I'm on IMDb Pro right now, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't appear to be as much. The orchestrator did a great job. Oh, yeah. That's Jonathan Beard. Yeah. I I think there were a few orchestrators on this. Uh, Oh, yeah. But, um... But there were also like some really interesting like tonal percussion things in there. Like it sounded mm-hmm. like there were some pan drums in there. Yeah, uh, it had some. I'm pretty sure they sounded like taiko drums, like the big Japanese drums. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love those. Yeah, the, the drums in this movie were on point. I mean, and again, another shout out to John Rod is that every this movie was the score in this movie was mixed so clearly yeah. that you could hear everything. You could hear the bow on the cellos and the violins. Uh, and everything was clear. I think there was more music in this movie than there was to Get Out as well. I think so, because Get Out... Well, I mean, this also... Get Out didn't really have a whole lot of just, like, music supervision where you just have songs. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... Like, this movie This movie was so noisy. Yeah. And I, and, and I do believe that was a very conscious choice. Oh. And so I think that's why the the persistent noise made me so... Granted, that is one of the things that, like... And something consistently squeaks, I like lose mm-hmm. my mind. But it was heightened because this movie never was quiet. Well, it's interesting too because uh, there were a lot of allusions to the Stanley Kubrick Shining in this movie, mm-hmm. and that's another thing about The Shining is that uh, 
is that it's a very noisy movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the one scene that everybody thinks of when they think of like sound in The Shining is whenever he's on his little like tricycle thing and he, whenever he goes over carpet, it gets like really quiet. Then when yeah. he goes over wood, it's like, yeah, and then it's cool. super specific. Yeah. And then a lot of the music that Kubrick used in there, uh, which I think a lot of it was reflected in this movie too. Uh, he used a lot of like avant garde orchestral, uh, atonal or like film score or not even film score just like from atonal orchestral composers uh and it just makes it be like a cacophony of noise and there are definitely parts of this movie not even uh, not always in the score but also in the sound design where it's just like this movie is so noisy and i think that's a lot of what contributed to you being so stressed out i i think so because i was like "Ah, um i can't find the movement choreographer but her choices on how these creatures and I'm very specifically using the word creature Uh um moved and and then the vocal coach holy crap like one thing that I'm really loving about Jordan Peele's work is his specificity and he brings in team members to really make his idea sing Mm -hmm. um it's been I've never worked for Jordan Peele but it seems very apparent that as a director and the helm of this of a ship Mm -hmm. that he is on is he makes these choices that he brings in the right people to really make his work sing and Mm -hmm. i just think it's incredible yeah and everything is really specific and i'm hoping that that is truly who he is as a director and not because he's a newer director who's, you know, needing to like really fight for, you know, fight for things. For example, we were reading that us came from the fact that everyone thought get out was like a horror film. Well, no. So you kind of had half of that, right? Okay. Well, tell me. So Jordan Peele wanted to make us because he was tired of the genre confusion of get out. A lot of that was like at the golden globes. They get, they nominated it for best picture, musical or comedy. Okay. And, you know, I, I think he very rightly took offense to that. Yeah. Um, because that was not funny. Right. And, <laughs> and again, like, you know, not to, not to be like, you know, oh, stupid white people, you know, me well, sitting here being the whitest guy on the planet, but that is, that is a, only a white person could think that Get Out was a comedy. Oh, like well, I, yeah. I remember hearing the premise of the movie and it was like, you know, it, it's a horror movie about an African-American man who goes to visit his white girlfriend's family. And at first I was like, that sounds like a Key and Peele sketch. And then I saw the movie and I'm like, nope, this was not a comedy. And that's one thing I liked about that movie is that he took uh, what could have been a very comedic type of movie and turned it into a horror movie. And but he said that with us, he wanted to make something that was just straight up horror. And the way that I've heard it, uh, I've heard it described, I can't remember which publication said this, if it was Rolling Stone or not, but like get out is existential horror and this is just visceral horror. Yeah. Well, and, and get out is like you said, it's, it's definitely a horror film because of how true it was. The, but it was spoiler alert for Get Out if you haven't already seen it, but the, which, come on, but the, the cop car at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you haven't seen Get Out, just I'm, I'm not going to detail that scene out for you, but if you have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes. And if you haven't seen it, you just need to see this movie. 
Agreed. Get Out is a really good one for people who aren't, like if you want to watch a horror movie, but you're not a typical horror movie fan. Yes. Now, this movie... Is a horror This is a straight up horror movie. Yeah, and if... um... Yeah, and I I will say if you are of the mindset of like, I don't really love horror films, you know, we're clearly fans of horror films. And if it is something that we're like, yeah, you'd be able to swallow this, Mm -hmm. we will tell you. If you do not like horror movies, you will not like this. Right. Yeah, you you have to be a horror movie fan. Or in the mood to see a horror film. Yeah. Because it's not it's not like watching Scream or Friday the 13th. There's no ju- there's not really jump scares. There are jump scares. There are definitely a few, and they're so good in this movie. Yeah, but the whole... I mean, my blood... Y'all, my blood pressure really gets over 100. I think it's like 170 right now. Like, So I think the main thing that we can say about this movie is that everything this movie accomplishes, we talk about earned moments all the time on this show. Earned. This movie earns everything that it sets out to do. Yes. Um, the jump scares that are in this movie, they are earned. They are earned. Uh, the, every feeling you have, and I'm extremely unsettled by the end, mm-hmm. um, which I'm excited to talk about that because I really don't know if I like it. Yeah. But who cares what I like and don't like? The movie was... It's... Jordan Peele is so specific, and if if you are on your way to the movie, so, you know, again, we, d- we designed this podcast so that way when you're on your way to the movie, you can listen to this first part. If you're on your way there right now, when you, buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> buckle up, because Ooh. also, um, this movie doesn't make choices that any other movie would make. No, and even in the way that it, like, it, it references, there's at least one fairly obscure movie that it references quite a bit in the second act. Uh, we'll talk about that oh, in okay. spoilers. Um, but even the way that it references it, it's not like it's like, oh, they're doing this scene now. Um, yeah, oh. The movie that they're referencing, I've specifically had nightmares about the way that the original, or there was an original movie, then there was the remake done by the exact same director oh, with the exact same script. I don't know if I'm ready to find out. Um, but I've only seen the remake. Um, I'm going to give you, cause we're not going to talk about the specific movie until after the break. But for those of you who are on board with us, I want to see if you're as movie geek knowledge is as up as mine is. Uh, it was a remake of a movie done with the exact same director and the exact same script. The original movie was a European film and this one stars Tim Roth and Naomi Watts. Oh... I don't know if you... You've never seen it with me, at least. Oh, but I maybe know. Well, we'll talk maybe. about it after Big the maybe. break. But, but, the, but where I was going with that before I got all Jordan on it... Nerd. I know. Um, <laughs> is that I've had nightmares about specific parts of the movie that I saw. And this movie referenced that so well in the way that I think it captured the feeling of the nightmares I had better than the one than the original that I saw. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I definitely. Um, I believe. Uh, I believe in ghosts, and I believe that what goes bump in the night is real. So I'm not looking forward to when night falls. <laughs> uh, we need to. We watched Paddington Two last night. Do we need to find another oh, movie like that? Maybe. P.S. Paddington it, Two. It is so good. It is so good. So I listen to Unspooled a lot, right? Uh, with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson. Yes. And Paul Shear 
for a while was just constantly talking about Paddington 2 <laughs> oh and goodness. talking about how good it was. And I heard, uh, I've heard Lexi Alexander talk about how much she loves it too. And I was just like, wow, you know, I thought this was just a movie about a bear. Negative. No, we watched this movie. <laughs> it was so it's good. It's what we have decided. It is what Christopher Robin, it is the, the sobbing that Christopher Robin wanted you to have. Mm-hmm. Paddington 2 stole it. Yeah. And the magic that Dumbo should have had mm-hmm. was drenched in Paddington 2. Yeah. It was so imaginative. It was so fun. And it couldn't be the complete opposite of what we're talking about right now. Yeah. Real quick, uh, in marmalade sandwiches, how well, how many would you give Paddington 2? Oh, I'd give it a four and a half, five. I'd give it a five. Uh, I, I think we may have to add that one to the library. I to, Yes. I, and it makes me want to see the first one. Yeah. And um, I didn't grow up with those books, um, but it makes me want to like hope that our kid loves bears. Mm-hmm. Just loves bears. Yeah. Future child, that is not an announcement of any kind. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Nope, negative. Um, so that being said, I think it, I think we, re- to get really into this movie, we've got to get into spoiler territory. I, I think so too. I think we should take a break and if you stay with us past it, we're going to assume you've already seen the movie or you're fine with it being spoiled. We're not, we, we may do this whole spoiler thing like we usually do, but we're not going to apologize for it. Yeah, because you know what you're getting into. This is date night of the movies. This you know is, the rules. This is episode Episode 27, and that's not even including the bonus episodes that we've done. Yes. Yes. It should be 27. I don't know. Uh, Because there are so many movies coming out that we want to see now, and we're just trying to get to them as fast as we can, I don't know what order I'm going to end up putting these out in. (laughs) (laughs) Totally fair. Yeah. Um, Well, with that being said, buckle up, take a seat, and if you've finished the movie, make sure to get your leftover champagne And let's dive in to spoiler territory. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? you need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online and with code Date Night, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, JewelryShop.com, code Date Night for 15% off. And we're back talking us on date night at the movies. I know that sounds just super, uh, like super self-centered, but no, the movie is called us. Yeah. I don't know what Jess is doing over here. I think she might've had a mental break in the theater. She's just sitting here like prairie dogging her (laughs) head all around in the chair. Uh, she tends to just kind of stay. You've seen pictures of her in the chair we keep down here in the studio. She she like settles herself in for the whole episode, whereas I have to be in the swivel chair, which my swivel chair is really old and it keeps shrinking down I on know, me. I know, but this, we're waiting for the new swivel chair for the new studio. That's right. Yeah, we are working on getting a new studio, uh, and we'll keep you guys on that. Anyway. Abreast. Yes, but... Jessica is basically just nestled into her chair and just prairie dogging her head around and I don't know if she's about to say something or not so I don't know if I need to get her professional help after watching this movie or not but I'm keeping an eye on it I'm fine I'm fine I just feel like I've lost my mind so you're just illustrating my point (laughs) 
I'm fine. I'm fine. I believe her. <laughs> um, yes. So we, we just saw Us, which was actually really, really scary. But I actually would feel that this goes more in the thriller territory. Yeah, real quick. What? So every time we've said Us, I almost say Up. Like the Disney movie? Not the same. Can you imagine... The horror version of Up? Well, can you imagine somebody being like, oh, I want to watch that movie about the balloons and accidentally clicking on Us? Oh, no. <laughs> be a big bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Where the old white guy? Dead. He's yes. dead. Yes. And then there's somebody hit, climbing up on the house and popping all the balloons. Hit, yeah, his doppelganger definitely got him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So... We to really unpack this movie, this is where we get into the spoiler territories because this whole movie, like the trailer, does a really good job. I've only seen like one trailer, but it does a really good job of not spoiling anything beyond what you need to know for the film. Um, right. So every, we all know going into this movie that there are the our versions, our doppelgangers, our ex- replicas of our main characters. Um, I didn't get from the trailer, but I'm also really bad at watching trailers, as those of you who wa- who listen to us uh, weekly know. Um, did you know that it was all of the family? Uh, I think so. Like I said, I've only seen the one trailer that was playing ahead of, I can't remember which movie it was uh, that we saw. Um, but, I don't remember. Yeah. Because that was a while ago. Because I remember... That was like before Christmas that we saw this and we were like, oh, 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 yeah. geez. Yeah, we got to see that. Um, hmm, I don't remember, but I can't remember. I, I felt surprised that it was the whole family. And moreover, friendly reminder, you're in spoilers. Here we go. To learn that everyone had a doppelganger. And when right. the kid was the son that asked that, right? Uh-huh. Being like, well, what about like... The, all the others and it was like oh because you find out that it's not just the main family right uh whenever you meet their you meet their friends earlier in the movie and uh you go back to their friend's house which i just thought they were gonna go they were gonna go straight to um they were gonna just go straight to their house and then their doppelgangers would be there like having killed all their friends uh but then you find out that their friends all have doppelgangers too right um and then once the, the family kills... The whole world has them. Yeah. Yeah, you, you find that out through like watching the news and stuff. Right. Um, which it, it reminded me of Signs. Again, without feeling like a ripoff of Signs. But like, you know, you find out that you're watching just a very specific event in this larger global thing. Right, but that this is something that's happening to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Which is even more scary. Especially when you get to the end... Oh, I, like it kind of felt like the end of, you know, what you always feel like the, the end of a Jurassic world is like, yes, mm-hmm. you fixed that tiny problem. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a really big problem. So this is a good time to talk about the movie that I was talking yeah. about. So uh, the movie that I was talking about is Drumroll. <laughs> Joy to the world. Is specifically Funny Games by Michael Haneke. Oh, I don't know that movie. Okay, what did you think it was? Um, I I was imagining something like The Island. There were I definitely had that thought too because was it Naomi Watts in that or did I make that up uh, or is it Leonardo he, DiCaprio just looks a whole lot like Naomi Watts? 
Well, I didn't think that before. (laughs) (laughs) No, that had Ewan McGregor in it. Ow. Um, No, so Funny Games is a movie by Michael Haneke. Uh, He made it specifically to comment on horror movies in general. And he typically doesn't like violence, but he decided that he was going to make these movies very violent. He has been quoted saying that he would have failed if they were a hit. Oh, interesting. So... And I've only I haven't seen the original. The original was made in '97, okay. And uh, he made an American remake of it ten years later that used the same script, a lot of the same shots. It's almost a shot-for-shot remake, just with American actors. Yeah, um, weird. But uh, weird. It, what a weird choice. Well, and again, he did that to make a comment on it as well. Yeah, it's just yeah. fascinating to me, and the fact that people gave him money to do that it's beyond me. Yeah, but basically the point of it is, uh, it's this family who's vacationing by the lake. Mm-hmm. And these two strangers come up. They're introduced as friends of their friends, who they're gonna who they're gonna go stay with later, or okay. they're, they're gonna go see the next day. They come and basically, basically hold them hostage in their own home and say, you know, by eight a.m. tomorrow morning, you'll all be dead. There's nothing you can do about it. And so, like, the family's trying to escape, and the whole time the the whole time the killers are like just like laughing at them for trying. It's like, no, we told you, you're gonna be dead by eight a.m. And uh, like subverting a lot of the tropes. Like at one point, they just leave, and whenever they ask, like, well, why are you leaving? It's like, oh, because this is the point in the movie where you think that you are able to escape, and then they leave. And so the family tries to escape, and it fails miserably. And by eight huh. a.m. the next day, they are all dead. Wow. Um. Yeah, it's it, it was a fairly disturbing movie. And of course, I was like 20 when I saw it. So, um and I hadn't seen as many like horror movies that weren't like Spielberg horror movies by that <laughs> right. point. Um where everybody might make it out alive. But um there's there's a ser- a part in Funny Games that this movie I think specifically references. Okay. Uh the family in Funny Games is a mother, a father and a little boy. The little boy escapes and they just kind of let him escape. And then he runs down the street in the lights, like with just like street lights and tries to get to the neighbor's house. And he goes over there and he finds them all dead. And then because they've already like killed the neighbors who had introduced them to them, you know? Right. Uh, and then so the killer gets back there and takes him back. And then they end up shooting a little boy with a shotgun. Holy. Yeah. Um, but the nightmare that I've told you I've had based upon that movie is the thought of being chased by somebody who knows that they're going to end up succeeding in killing me, but making me run away from them anyway. And just being, being on a desolate road lit only by street lamps. This movie captured the feel of my nightmare better than I think funny games did. Yeah. Especially with when she was first running. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was thinking. Wow. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of other references this mo- in this movie too. You know, obviously the Jaws shirt was one of them. And it, to me, I don't know if this was actually in there if I'm projecting, but a lot of the way that some of the shots on the beach were set up, I thought were kind of Jaws. Um, I could see that. I thought that the the shot with the very stark shadows mm-hmm. of them walking on was really brilliant. Oh yeah. Um, the idea of mirroredness um, was a was pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting that um, Lupita Nyong'o's character kept covering windows. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, because you find, you know, you early on in the movie, you see that she sees her reflection mm-hmm. that is her otherness, her, they're, they're tethered. Yeah. The tethered. Um, 
And um, so I always was like, I always wondered if she just thought that the tethered would show up in the the image or not. Well, and there's a lot to unpack there. And uh, because of how the movie ends. Yeah, but I, yeah. Um, purely, I don't know. It's really hard Should to Should we just go about. ahead and talk about the ending? Yeah, let's talk about the ending. This doesn't mean we're about to end anything, but we're just going to go on ahead and talk to the, talk about the ending. Yeah, so... In the very beginning of the movie, uh, the young Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Addie is her character's name, she wanders off and then goes into this hall of mirrors and that's underneath the uh, the Santa Cruz boardwalk. Yes. Um, Where all of the tethered live or yeah at least that's like that's like a way to get down to where they live right um because they mention in in the beginning of the movie about like the tunnels how a lot of them have right. seem, seemingly have I no actually completely all. forgot about that you're welcome okay yes um but she meets her doppelganger and then you find out later that she's been traumatized by whatever it was that happened and she hasn't been able to talk and all that stuff and they encourage her to dance correct um you find out at the end of the Let's movie... Let's call them the tethered. The tethered, yes. You find out at the end of the movie, after she has killed her tethered, and the family is escaping, that the Addie we've been following the whole time was actually the tethered Addie. Right, who, and learned to speak through... Yeah, like they... Like, basically, they thought that her not speaking was just part of her trauma, and so whatever they did to help work her through that basically taught her how to speak and how to act right, as a human. Right, because the tethered don't, they make guttural primal noises. Yeah. The, the primal work reminded me a lot of primal mask mm-hmm. uh, work. Um, and that so that was really an interesting choice. So, um, and then when you meet the tethered, what you think is the tethered daddy, so mm-hmm. red, they call her red. Yeah. When you meet Red, the the choice of how she speaks is fascinating. Why why do you think it is? Because she like it's guttural, but she's able to speak unlike the rest of the tethered. Well, you and you find out that it's because she actually was. I don't know how old Addie was supposed to be in, in 1986, young. but you found out that she had actually learned how to speak. You know, she lived as a human. She also had a concept of God, which is something that she always talked about which the tethered themselves wouldn't have right uh, you find out that what the tethered are it's basically the u.s government learned how to basically clone clone humans uh make perfect doppelgangers of them but they couldn't split a soul Correct. and they tried to do that to keep the population under control um and then it failed but then the tethered just kept existing kept right m- but i'm asking very specifically Red. No, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Continue on. So, um, so for whatever reason, because Addie wandered off, Red started wandering off too. Right. And then that's how they met each other. Spidey Sense told her. Yeah. And something sparked in Red where she made her strangle her and then chained her up down with the rest of the tethered and Red took her place. Right. So... Is it the strangling, you think? It's the strangling and also the fact that Addie's the only person in that entire world who would have known how to talk. She hadn't talked in 30 years. True. So that that's what I took it as. Um, is the fact that her vocal cords just hadn't been exercised. I mean, think about it. Have you ever gone like two or three days without just like speaking? Yeah. And think about on day four, like you have to kind of work through that a little bit, you know? Yeah. One thing that I was really confused about before we continue talking about the ending, but 
these parallel lives. When you first meet Red, she's talking to Addie, um, Tethered Addie. Um, you learn, like, she had all these babies. W- were the babies, like, were the children who were... This is where my mind starts to be exploded. They are part tethered. Mm-hmm. Like those kids on planet Earth, their mother does not have a soul. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the one, the tethered kids, were they actually born or were they clones? Because she talked about the sun being ripped from her body so, but thrown into the fire. So with that, um, with that, so... At near the end of the movie, whenever Addie is having these flashbacks of everything, you see basically the tethered play out the first scene of the movie, uh, just in the halls. So like instead of playing whack-a-mole, he's just the dad is just, just hitting punching the wall. the wall. Yeah. And then he instead of giving her the Michael Jackson shirt, he just like gives her whatever rag they have there. So they're copying movements. So my understanding of it is and the movie doesn't explicitly answer this, is that uh the government created them and failed. And right. they and they talk about for generations they were down there. So that means that whenever they were doubling, uh, whenever the tethered was doubling the people above the world, it's just like, so when people were making babies, when people were going out on dates and stuff like that, and she said a line in there, you know, you meet, you met, your, you met a prince for you. I met Abraham, whether I loved him or not. So, so I think that the tethered kept multiplying like like rabbits the right the uh visual imagery of the rabbits so you know and then of course this is kind of the part in most horror movies or high concept movies like that where you kind of have to just suspend some disbelief absolutely um, but it confuzzled me i think it's because the, like why was the little boy's face burned well that was a that was a mirror of the other little boy who had kind of a little obsession with fire. He had that little like flint right, but he she said something very specific that rocked my world. Very specifically, she said he was ripped from my body and thrown in the flames. I don't remember that specifically. It made my brain explode. Gotcha. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, made my brain explode. Brain exploded. Yeah, that was part one of. 10,000 mm-hmm. that my brain was like, what? Um, so that made my brain explode. So you find out at the end that at the Addie we were following is the tethered and then her son realizes it. Mm-hmm. But does he realize he, that that means he's part tethered? And then then at, then we find out like Red, who is the real Addie, the horrors that she should have like, blah. Mm-hmm. And then I was mad because I was like, the hell I've been rooting for the wrong person or like, am I? But then she, she created this coup and it was like hands all over America. And there's like, I loved that. Oh, it was great. But there's like people everywhere and they're killing everyone. And I was like, what? So, um, there was a line in there that I really liked between red, who remember was the original Addie and then Addie, who was the The original red. Yeah. Ah, um, where Red tells Addie, you know, the ironic thing is that without you, I never would have danced. And what that means is, like, had she just lived out her existence as a normal child, she never would have danced. But because, because the tethered version of her was up in the real world and her parents were trying to get her to break out of her quote-unquote shell and, you know, re-communicate with the world, she started dancing. And with Addie... 
with the original Addie being now the tethered, uh, that's whenever she danced, and that's whenever the rest of the tethered started to look to her as a leader. So, which reminded me just of the remember that you know that song Chandelier and the music video for that. Uh-huh. I was like, that's the inspiration for this dance. Yeah, but um, but holy I did, crap, it was beautiful to watch yeah. that final scene where it's like fight dance dance fight. Dance, it reminded dance. me a lot of Annihilation. I can see that. Yeah, the the final confrontation in Annihilation because that was also very like beautifully choreographed. Yes. Um. But uh, but yeah, no, I loved the, I loved that line because it didn't mean anything until you found out the twist at the end. Yeah, which is the ironic thing is without you, I never would have danced. Right. Um. Yeah. I. What other spoilery stuff do we need to talk about? Because I think we've pretty much gone through the. The only other thing I will say is that I don't know the thought process behind Jason with him like kind of realizing something's up but I think his whole thing of like pulling down the mask means that he still doesn't trust her I, I think I that's think as so far too. as that goes I don't think he trusts her but I think he knows yeah I think he knows the I I'm curious here's my question to you mm-hmm. would this movie be as good or powerful if she had just been Addie if the real Addie would have won you know I don't know because the twist is such a such an impactful part of the movie that it's hard for me to separate it from there. I don't think I would have liked the movie any less if there wasn't the twist. I think I I don't to me and this is just my initial reaction, um I didn't need the twist. Mm-hmm. It's an already really complicated movie. Yeah. And it's not quite like watching um The Walrus. Uh yeah. Uh, Tusk? Tusk. Yeah. Where I felt like the rug was completely pulled from under me. Um, I don't feel that in this, but it definitely, for something that was so disturbing throughout the entire movie, I was like, did we need more work? Here is what I will say about it. From Mm -hmm. a storytelling standpoint, the twist allows you to get a better glimpse into the world of the tethered without making you sit through a lot of exposition. That's fair. It gives you a story beat to actually earn that. Like, I think if they would have tried to put all of that in at the end of the movie and like basically play that through exposition, I think then we would have been bored. I can see that, but you don't, I felt like I really understood the world of the tethered Mm -hmm. by the time red had been killed. By the time Red had been killed, we had spent a lot of time down there. We had seen a lot of the mirrored lives and mirrored versions. Mm-hmm. I got it. But to me, without that, you wouldn't have some of the most interesting and almost disturbing parts of the movie. I mean, there are a lot of disturbing parts of this movie, but like seeing the tethered act out the scene at the Santa Cruz Pier. Uh but I I agree, but I felt like I got it. I was glad to have had that all in there. And if the cost of that is a twist that I think still works but wasn't uh, totally necessary, I'm fine paying that. Yeah, I'm not saying that it shouldn't have been in there. I'm just saying I think the movie would have sung without it. I can, I can see that. I just think that, to me, they're so melted together that that's just the way that I see it, you know? Yeah, I kind of felt like, ugh, really? Yeah. Like, oh, you're going to give us... To me, that was the least surprising part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Everything else was like, holy crap, holy crap, whoa, no way, ah, there's more, ah, whoa, they really killed those white people immediately. 
and like the way that the the key family keeps surviving was so surprising like uh-huh. how they dealt with things like he didn't get hit with the boat like he like yeah. the, the things happened everything was so surprising and so original and like they say on Project Runway fresh um that the twist at the end I I was like really that mm-hmm. to me was the least original part of the idea how many horror films are like uh 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 twist so how many movies at the very end are like all your perceptions are untrue aha well to me I think that's just part of the genre though Chris and I, Nolan I think that I think that this twist was handled a lot better than a lot of other horror movie twists are handled. I agree. I think this is a, <laughs> this is overall just a better version of filmmaking mm-hmm. than a lot of horror films yeah. like to be. Um, this movie felt like it had millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, and it definitely like did tens not. of millions of dollars, and it definitely did not. Yeah, I mean, it was Blumhouse. It was pretty low budget, right? And I th- I thought it was brilliantly done. Uh, to me, it just felt like twist. And I was like, oh, come on. That's what it felt like to me. Um, it seems to, like whenever you read, um, when you read a script, especially when you do like your first table reads, things like that really are like, oh, no, no way. Mm-hmm. But when I see it and it's in front of my face after this crazy ride that I've been on, I just, I kind of was, I, it made me be like, Really? Like, as an audience member, I'm exhausted. You've put me through the ringer. You've made this woman kill something that was the closest resembling thing to her. Um, I will say the image of them switching places, the little girls mm-hmm. and the real Addie being drugged through the tethered world of the tethered. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, those scenes through the tethered were really great to see. But to me, the twist was just like, ugh. I didn't have the animosity towards the twist that you see. Well, I'm not to. trying to have animosity. I'm just like, maybe well, I'm just tired. Well, you're, like, not, you're not trying to have it. You're having the reaction that you're having, and that's a valid reaction, you know? Yeah, I just was like, did I, I just really question its ne- necessariness. Mm-hmm. Necessity, maybe? No, necessariness okay. is what I actually... I actually genuinely am trying to say that. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so, a couple other things that we liked about the movie before I get into my IMDb-ness. Yeah. Um, I loved the way that the fire burn at the end was shot. Right? Yeah. I, I loved everything about the imagery of that from like the car, just like the car just being there on fire to him being there standing in front of it to, uh, the real Jason understanding how the, how his doppelganger works. Yeah. Um, so, um, Emily Probst. Um, she is a, a stunt woman who was like Carl's original stunt double on the walking dead. She's mm-hmm. a very, very, um, small stunt woman. Um, that fire burn was so good and obviously practical. It looked so yeah. good and she does a lot of fire. Um, and like I was mentioning earlier, Freddie Smith was the stunt double and just that all that movement and the movement that sang throughout the fire burn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Jason being taken, like, yeah. after that. <gasps> so good. Yeah. Um, I loved the imagery of Hands Across America. Because yeah. that's something that we only ever hear referenced as, like, oh, that was kind of a joke. Like, Yeah, I, like, don't even really know a whole lot about it. It was literally just, like, it was like the Ice Bucket Challenge of 1986. 
Okay. It, it was that type of thing. And like, I know the ice bucket challenge actually did raise a lot of money for, it, I was going to say it rose a lot of money and awareness for, uh, for Lou Gehrig's that yeah. people just assumed, Oh, that was a baseball player and didn't realize like, Oh, that's a very devastating right. um, disease. But, um, but you remember how, when it was happening, people were just like, Oh, it's the ice bucket challenge. That's basically what hands across the, across America was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, so, so it I, never actually happened. No, it did happen. Um, I, it's just like, it didn't accomplish anything from my understanding of it. Oh, um, I loved the references that it made to the movies within there. Cause like, you know, they had, they had, uh, when you were watching the hands across America commercial, commercial, uh, they had the videos next to it. One of them was Chud, which is an eighties monster movie about like an underground race of like people monsters. I did not even, I didn't even see that. And then there was also the Goonies. Uh, which is all spent underground. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one of my favorite little ones is they were on the Santa Cruz Pier, the boardwalk, in 1986. And like, I think they're filming a movie over there. You should go see if they need extras. They're talking about the Lost Boys. Were they? Yeah. No way. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, there there were just some really interesting things in here. Um is there anything else you want to talk about before I start doing the IMDb trivia? No, to the trivia we go. Okay, so the first thing is Jordan Peele had voice cameos in here again. Uh, oh, the general uh, ADR-ness of this whole movie? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, the ADR of this movie was really good. Um, but Jordan Do- Jordan Peele had a cameo as uh, not only the announcer for uh, the Hall of Mirrors, uh, oh, okay. But also as the sound of a dying rabbit, which if you know in Get Out, he was the sound of the dying deer. Huh. So I think he's just going to have dying furry animal cam- voice cameos. I feel in all like of his I movies. need to meet Jordan Peele and be like, yo, I was nominated for an award for mm-hmm. turkey noises. Yeah. You, you, guys have, uh, you guys have a shared. With a kinship. A shared kinship, yes. All right. So one thing on here is. Uh, Jordan Peele gave the cast 10 horror films to watch that would have a shared language with the movie. Oh, okay. What were the 10 films? Uh, Dead Again, which I believe is, I think it's a David Cronenberg movie. Okay. Uh, about, um, about twins as well. Yeah. Um, the Shining, the Kubrick one. Uh, the Babadook. Ah, 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 that movie, <laughs> ah, I will never watch that movie again. Scared the crap out of me. Uh, it Follows. Don't love that movie. I know you don't. Uh, a Tale of Two Sisters, which I've never seen. That mm-hmm. might be a Korean horror movie. Maybe. Uh, the Birds, which the last shot of this movie was totally The Birds. That was totally The Birds. Yeah. The Driving Away. And I'm saying all these like references of like, oh, that was totally this movie, inspired by this movie. Like I'm saying all this as a very, like these are all positives because they do it in a way that it still feels like original. He's just paying homage. He's not ripping. Well, he's not even paying homage. It is influence. Yeah. He's making choices. And again, Jordan Peele, I'm again, I'm hoping that this is his directorial style is how freaking specific he is. Like nothing was without care. And I know for Jordan and I speak the same language when I'm stunt coordinating something, especially when there's a lot of fights, I ask a lot of questions of like, what, how does this feel to, especially when speaking to a director says, how does this feel? And I know Jordan does the same when he's working with a new director, like especially Jordan Peele is definitely creating his own language, but he doesn't come from nowhere. Right. And that makes it, it gives you again, just like you said, 
when speaking, when he said to his actors, please watch these movies, Mm -hmm. they needed a shared language. Yeah. And, you know, for that, those is a cast of actors that, from my knowledge, have never worked with all all of them together, including with the director. Uh, so you need a language. Lupita Nyong'o and Winston Duke, who played her husband, uh, they were in Black Panther together. Oh, were they? Yeah. Great. Winston Duke was great in this movie. Yeah. It, it, there were times where I was like, is he just doing a Jordan Peele impression? No, I, he was great. Yeah. Um, anyway, the other movies that, so The Birds, then Funny Games. Okay. Uh, Martyrs, which is a French like extreme horror movie back in the late 2000s where everything was supposed to be as extreme as possible. Got it. Uh, I've never been able to sit through Martyrs. Um, I, wonder, a, I wonder which of the cast could. I don't Obviously, know. I don't think the kids watched all of these. No. Uh, Let the Right One In, uh, which we saw the American version, Let yeah. Me In, which was still really good. I've never seen Let the Right One In, but I read the book and it was fantastic. Okay. Uh, and then The Sixth Sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so Especially because the sixth sense, the twist, and is in front of you the entire time. Mm-hmm. I would be interested to watch this again to see if you can pick up that the tethered is the main character the whole time. Yeah, um, I I genuinely think that this movie warrants multiple views. Uh, I agree to get everything. I agree because, and the reason I bring that up about the sixth sense is whenever I watch the sixth sense now, mm-hmm. it's so apparent oh yeah like the choices that were made were so apparent um that you feel like oh i feel kind of dumb and Mm -hmm. i've i feel like i've told this story on this podcast before that my dad called it like within the first 30 minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. have i said that have i told this story You, you told it before yeah yeah jerk but i i i'm curious if it's even remotely noticeable in this one yeah um, anyway, so eleven uh, eleven is a pretty recurring theme in here. Not only yes. does like stuff starts to go down at eleven eleven, yeah, and it like goes yeah down. But um, but they also reference Jeremiah eleven eleven, yeah, the, which is what Bible verse is that? Uh, Therefore, thus saith the Lord: Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they cry, shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what else on here. Um, oh, apparently for the rides at the Santa Cruz, uh, boardwalk, they put dummies in a lot of them and then CGI'd real people over them. Good. Cause I was working on a TV show that I will oh, remain untamed, but they had real people on rides for hours. Yeah. No bueno. So I, I, I really hats off to the filmmakers for making really good, you know, just humanitarian choices. Mm-hmm. I loved in the tethered them being on the roller coaster. Like, yeah, um, we were, that was cool. we were making a joke when we were watching the credits, which, Hey, the lights didn't come on during the credits this time. Yeah, AMC is getting their, uh, getting their Except for that together. ticking noise. And well, I almost murdered someone for it. It was a trade off. We're, we're going to be going to a different theater for the next few movies. Yes. Um, but they like listed like five background actors. I will say the background actors in this movie were stellar. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot from the tethered that those people were making not a whole lot of money. They were on a background contract and they were acting their little booties off. It was really good. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple other things in here. And then I want to talk about the theme of this movie because we haven't touched on that yet. Um, but, uh, the way that they costume Adelaide, she's wearing white when everything starts to go down and it progressively gets more and more red as it goes on. 
uh, and they did that to uh, reference her true origin. Okay. Which I thought was a good little point of subtlety. Yeah. Um, so one, they reference Michael Jackson in here a couple times. One with the Thriller shirt. Yes. And then and one, nightmares. Yeah. And then one with uh, with they're all wearing a single glove. Yes. Um, apparently, Jordan Peele said he wanted to do that because Michael Jackson is the definition of, of extreme duality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about the one glove. And like all the tethered wear one glove. Yeah. Well, like the red came from the fact that her Hands Across America shirt all had red uh, all had red people on them. So right. that's where the red jumpsuits came from. The single glove, I don't know if that was a, like if from a, from Jordan Peele's perspective, yeah, that was a Michael Jackson thing. But from her perspective, I don't know. I wonder if that was a Michael Jackson thing or if that was just something that they did. Right. What, uh, in the trivia, does it tell you where the scissors come from? Uh, not from a story standpoint, but from a filmmaking standpoint, the fact that it is, uh, it is, there are two things that have to come together for one purpose. Interesting. Yeah. Um, by the end of the film, each uh, member of the Wilson family killed their own counterparts. Yes. Uh, let's see here. We've talked about some of this. Oh, apparently the uh, twin girls from the White family. Yes. That was a reference to The Shining. And apparently, I didn't catch this, but whenever they're dead on the balcony and they walk up and see them, they're in the same picture as the Grady girls whenever you see them axe murdered in The Shining. Ah! So I need to go back and see that. Ah! <laughs> um, most of the tethered in the movie, their names aren't referenced. I think Abraham might be... Abraham might be the only one, but he they still all get their own names in the credits. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Lupita Nyong'o uh, based her voice as, the, as Red on Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who apparently has like... Yes, he was just on Getting Curious talking about water. All right. I'm dead serious. And, and there's like some kind of like spasmic yeah. dysphoria or something yeah. like that, right? Holy crap. Yeah. All right. We just blew Jessica's mind again. Yeah. So if you're listening, so I talk, we, as if you're new to this podcast, Jordan and I talk about other podcasts a great deal. And Jonathan Van Ness has a a podcast called Getting Curious. They're brilliant. And um, he had that guy on to talk about the water that we drink. And it's a very educational um, episode, actually. Um, But it is difficult to listen to because of his speech impediment. that's so interesting. Yeah. I can I hear it clear as day. Um, this isn't here. They're talking about the Hands Across America thing. And they, okay. Uh, to answer your earlier question, Hands Across America netted relatively little for the poor owing to tremendous overhead expenses and huge numbers of unpaid pledges. Oh. Yeah. So that's why it's kind of seen as like a joke, you know? Um, let's see. I think, the, I think the Food Network does more for... Like hunger, yeah. Than that um, did. Here, here was an interesting one that I found. Uh, and again, this is all from IMDb. Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, it appears to be an unwritten rule that the tethered only murder their own doppelganger. The Tylers, for example, uh, which is their the White family, their friends, uh, die at the hands of their own doppelgangers. But when confronting the Wilsons, they only appear to toy with and capture the family, despite multiple opportunities to kill them. The same go- appears to be true when Zora slash Umbre. Uh, the daughter, uh, chase scene is interrupted by the car owner and the car owner is stabbed by Umbre, but only in the leg. Oh, it didn't look like the leg. It looked like the belly. It did to me too. I don't, and that's another thing where I don't know about that, but that is something that I noticed in the movie is almost like, like 
if however the tethered were communicating with each other, it was like, okay, you're going to go, you're going to kill your person, and then you're going to wait. No matter what happens, you just wait. So, like, whenever you see the uh, bum at the beginning, and he's just kind of waiting yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, it's he's like, kind of like patient zero. Yeah, he already did his, so now he's just waiting on everybody else. And so, like, whenever they were, whenever they were holding hands, uh, you know, in the, whenever they were holding hands with each other, those tethered didn't go after anybody else. Right. So I, that's something I picked up on, and I think that's. It looked to me like the owner of the car got stabbed in the belly, but I thought so too. Yeah, but it it would break the rules because mm-hmm. like Elizabeth Moss's uh, tethered had so many opportunities to kill Addie and didn't. Yeah, which but then again, it makes no sense. Like it's so bonkers to me that they would there was not more recognition to Addie. Yeah. Um. But as a like a soulless, even though she recognized there might be a god, she was still soulless. Well, no. So whenever whenever they reference God, it's as far as the movie goes, it's Red who says that, and she keeps saying like God gave God gave us this opportunity, things like that. Oh. Um. So so in that case, it would be weird that the tethered wouldn't think that there was anything just immediately weird about this little girl until she started dancing. Uh, because she's the only thing that technically has a soul down there. Right. And so I think it's weird that the tether didn't recognize her. Well, if we want to go by the rules of the movie, it's because everybody was so focused on their own uh, on their own counterpart. Right. That it's like, okay, well, Red's going to take care of this one. Okay, that seems fair. Yeah. That's that's the way I choose to see it, at least. No, totally fair. I It's just like... So, talking about the themes of this movie... Um, so Get Out was obviously about, you know, racism in America, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. This is actually, and I kind of thought this based upon some things they said in there, and then the IMDb kind of made me realize it a little more uh, concretely, and also I looked up some other thematic analyses, analyses, analyses. of this movie. Uh, it's about classism. So, oh. So, you know, the part where they're like, who, who are you? And she's like, we're Americans. Uh you know, it's a class of Americans that was created by the government to try and keep people in control and then abandoned. Yeah. Um, and then now, now the lower class is rising up to take their place amongst the higher class. Right. Um, and also they illustrate that with like, you know, with, uh, you know, Gabe's friends, uh, who are obviously like very wealthy. They, they are staying in a nicer house um, have all the stuff. Yeah, all the stuff, and then they're comparing boats, and he buys a, he buys a boat to try and um, to try and like you know one up on one up on Josh, I think his name was. Yes. And the fact that the only boat that he could afford was just that little janky one that didn't work properly. Right. Although funny, funny it, it was funny that there were some good funny moments in this movie too. But yeah, so this movie this movie was uh, Jordan Peele's take on classism, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that totally makes sense, especially like, and that makes the, we're Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that that was just like a weird little disturbing line that they put in there. Just I did too. Doing it. I did too. But I can totally see that. Um, and I, I will say I was really glad. And Jordan Peele is so brilliantly deft in not falling into tropes. Anyway, but whenever I think of African-American families in a horror film, I can only think of Chris Rock. Mm-hmm. 
and what and like the jokes that he makes that like a black family would not go in the house. Oh, Eddie Murphy. Was it Eddie Murphy? Yeah, where where he's like, you know, black family walks in the house and here, get out. Okay, we're gonna leave. <laughs> right. And um I really appreciated that there was no there was no trope to fall into. Yeah, I mean it was they were it's not like the movie was about them being black. That was just a black family. They were yeah. they were a family who was black. Yeah, agreed. Um, and obviously, just following Get Out, it couldn't be a mixed family. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so here's another stupid thing that's happened recently. What's that? So Jordan Peele has said that he doesn't ever see himself casting a white dude as the lead in his movie. That's be- fair. Because he now he's like, I'm in a place now where I can make my own movies and I want to tell the stories that aren't being told right now. Totally fair. And so everybody, like, or not everybody, but like the... A bunch of people. A bunch of people. You know who you are if you are listening to this and you have a problem with him saying that. But they're saying, how dare you say that? Can you imagine if a white person said that? And then, and then people went back and they're like, hey, here's a Woody Allen quote from a few years ago saying that he wouldn't cast a black guy in a movie unless the story called for it exhausted yeah it's it's stupid i mean jordan peele gets to make the movies that he wants to make he gets to tell them from perspectives he wants to tell he gets to do whatever he wants yeah. to do yeah and yeah it's it's stupid like you know i would love i would love to if i were an actor i would love to be the lead in the jordan peele movie but i'd get there and be like you know what you you got your thing and i'm gonna let you do that you don't need me for this but he's telling different stories it you know we're working on another script right now and we had a long discussion um, in the script as of right now. There's it's a um, a black woman and a white male, mm-hmm. and it was like well, to make it clear we're not writing this script. No, we're, no, no, no. Yeah. We are a part of the hopeful. Well, I'm not even gonna say hopeful. We're gonna we're part of the fruition of this of this script mm-hmm. into hopefully something that you can see within a couple of years. Yeah. Um. So that being said, there was long discussion about like why does it have to be black and white? Whenever you think mixed race, you think black and white, but that's not the truth. And I just think and talking with the screenwriter, she's like, but this is this this is why and why it was such a specific story. Mm-hmm. And I um and then there's um. A play that I just worked on called Angry and is a derogatory term for uh, queer people. So I'm not going to say it on this podcast, yeah. but it's on at seven stages right now. Uh, Lois writes this on W-A-B-E, Jordan. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't say the title. I can see that. Yeah. Lois was like really upset. She said it. She goes, I'm going to say it one time and one time only because I do not like this word. So it's a derogatory worm word for gay men. Um, and so it's angry, derogatory term. And it's really a really brilliant show, but it's a very white cast. And when talking about it too, it was like, well, the reason that the only reason that this play can happen is because of the privilege of this being white gay people. If it were almost any other race, mm-hmm. um, and the closest right now to like the pay scale, like Asian men almost make as much as a white male. And as far as so, and if you see this play, it's by Topher Payne, um, and it's the world premiere is in Atlanta right now, uh, which is 2019, for those of you listening to the in the future, um, that the only way that that play could have been happening is that these had to be highly privileged people. Yeah. And um, I just, so I think that the discussion on race is deep and wide, mm-hmm. deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Oh, Bible school. Um, 
so I think that Jordan Peele can make whatever the hell choice he wants to make. Yeah, I, I think that I think that people who are mad about him saying that are getting mad for. Oh, it hurts their butt. Their butt hurt. Yeah, it's it's just stupid. It's just stupid, stupid, stupid. Yeah, and I and honestly, I mean, I'm a white person, but I'm a little tired of seeing like Captain America. Mm-hmm. I'm a little tired of seeing all these just white dudes being white dudes. It's not a new story. I'm tired. Yeah, I'm so tired. Especially after this movie. I'm so tired. I need pizza. You said the magic words. I think we should end the episode right now. (laughs) Hey, Ava, what are you thinking about? Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I don't know if we're quite in talking in circles. I think we are, though. But I feel us getting there is what I was going to say. Yeah, I think we're getting there because I feel whenever, especially good movies, they send us out on quote tangents but they're still relevant Mm -hmm. that I think that this was a very good movie so I think we're part of the episode where we say hey should people go see this if they haven't already yeah I'm going to say definitely see this with a caveat that you have to be a fan of the genre this is not going to be the movie to introduce people to horror movies. Oh, it, it's a it's a very intense movie. It's it's very violent. It's very intense. And like Jordan yeah. said, I'm not usually like. Ah. Yeah. Well, here's the thing though too is that it's not just like whenever people think intense horror movies, they think it's going to be something like you know, oh, and then they cut open their stomach and dug out all their guts with their bare hands. It's not that movie. And there's actually very little just like explicit gore in this movie. Now no. there, there it's is bloody, but it's there, not yeah, gory. It is bloody and it is violent, but it's not like it's not on the level that a lot of people think an intense horror movie would be. This movie is intense thematically. It's intense in the way that it's crafted. The performances are. The music and the sound design oh, is. Oh, yeah. And the performances. I will say my favorite actress in this whole thing was the mm-hmm. was the oldest daughter. Yeah. Yeah, Zora. She was great. Yeah. The kids in this movie were really good. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved the actors in this movie. They definitely... Uh, this movie definitely uh, kind of... Not sideline the dads, but it definitely didn't paint the dads in as positive of a light as it did the moms. Yeah, um, but it, especially, I, especially with like Josh, because even I was just like, "Oh, dude, you suck." Oh, they both sucked though. Yeah, her a little less. Yeah, but, she sucked too. Yeah, but like e- even towards even the towards, white people sucked. Yeah, but even towards the end where uh, where she, um, Addie turns to Gabe, she's like, "You don't make decisions anymore." Which was interesting. Maybe that's part of the illusion. They're alluding to the fact that she's tethered. Maybe I don't know. Like I didn't feel that ah. he. I didn't feel that he totally deserved that. But I didn't think he deserved it either. Yeah. Because for the most part, he wasn't an overly controlling male figure. No, he was. He was a little fuddy duddy, but he also he also came back with the boat to save everybody. He also went out there with the baseball bat on his own. True. Um. I yeah. That part I didn't quite. I didn't quite get the point of that, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm really definitely stuck in a whirlwind paradox that both sets of children were half tethered, half untethered. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you see Addie watching the the son get burned and you see it affect her, but then her other son. So I'm just starting to be like, ha, 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 Yeah, ha. She, she felt, she had a moment with both the children when the tethered children were dead. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. There were, I bring up the uh, the dads being... Um, Buddy daddies? Yeah. Because Jordan Peele was actually raised by a single mom. 
And, oh. and there's actually a clip of Jordan Peele as a kid uh, at a Q&A with uh, President Clinton. And his question basically asks, what would you do in a situation where uh, where there's a single mom and the dad is is not willing to pay child support is, is essentially what he was asking. Mm-hmm. And you can find that clip on YouTube. It was Jordan Peele at like 13 years old asking President Clinton that. What was, his, what was Clinton's response? Uh, I mean... I can't remember exactly what it was. It was basically like that's. I remember him saying, "That's a good question, Jordan. You know, there are certain laws that we could enact to try and to try and uh, make sure that if people are skipping out on payments to uh, to make them pay, and if they're unable to pay, then we can try and find ways to help that too." Like I don't remember the answer as much. I just remember seeing Jordan Peele ask Bill Clinton the question when he was thirteen. Interesting. So I so that was the perspective that I saw. I saw from the way that they treated the moms versus the dads. Because, like, Gabe was definitely doing his best for his family the whole movie. And it's it's not like, you know, he he definitely wasn't as much of a powerhouse as Addy was. But I... No, but, like, when, when he first... Um, whenever he kind of gets overtaken by Abraham, mm-hmm. um, like, nobody went and helped him. Yeah. Like, I thought he was a goner. I did, too. So, I mean, he's not worthless by any stretch. Yeah. Um, I will say we had a very fun uh, overall, other than the person kicking my seat mm-hmm. um, for two hours. Um, the the crowd in general was hilarious when, especially at the beginning of when things are really starting to happen, I loved people's reactions to him. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was very fun. Yeah. No, um, he, he was, Winston Duke was really good in this movie. He and, was great. you know, and I talk about a lot on here about how, like how movies treat, treat dads too. And I thought, except for that, except for that one moment, like, you know, yeah, he was telling a bunch of lame dad jokes and everything, but like, you know, he showed up for his family. So good on Gabe. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. I agree. Um, I would also tell people to go see this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if you are, um, already feeling anxious, maybe skip out on this moving. Yeah. I'm not normally a very anxious person. And if, if you're in LA, partake in a little bit of California creativity before you do that. Yes, that's what we should have done. Yeah. Um, um, I will say that um, if you like mo- your movies to be cut and dry, you may not enjoy this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are looking for a Rob Zombie film, which I recently worked with a prop master from all the Halloween, the Rob Zombie Halloweens. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got all sorts of good things about that, but they're not my stories to tell. Yeah. Um. But apparently, Rob Zombie is a very like very serious on set, mm-hmm. and I think Rob Zombie is a good storyteller. It's I, just his form of storytelling I don't always connect to. I think Rob Zombie is a much better director than he is a screenwriter. Oh, I can. Um, I'm on board with that. But I w- I would like to see Rob Zombie work with a screenwriting partner and be able to make people feel uncomfortable without just swearing and being like violent rednecks all the time. Right. Because Rob Zombie tends to think rednecks are scary the way that American Horror Story thinks being gross is scary. Yeah, but rednecks are scary. Well, it, de- it depends, you know? It's, it's like, yes, I wouldn't want to eat in your house, but I don't think you're about to kill me. Fair. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking for that kind of horror film, this will not... So that will not quench your thirst. No. Um, but if you are, if you're ready to be on the edge of your seat and leave the theater like, ah, um, then you're you're in for a ride. Um, yeah, this one, this one's a ride. It's definitely a ride. Yeah. And if you are listening to this and you don't like, you're one of those people. Like, I kind of feel like if a movie gets spoiled for me, I still feel like I can go 
watch it. Oh, totally. Um, so if you're listening this far, I would say, even though we've told you kind of the ending, it's still going to happen in a way that's a little left of center. And I think it's all, I mean, Jordan Peele is brilliant. Yeah. I would say, so I'm looking through our episodes on our phone right now. Mm -hmm. And the first few episodes of the year were actually ones that we saw in December and we just kind of banked, you know? Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, starting on January, that's whenever we have like Holmes and Watson and Spider-Verse and Mary Poppins. And those three we actually saw before the new year. Right. Um, I would say that this is probably the best movie that we've done on this podcast that we've seen all year. Yeah, so far. Um, you know, Captain Marvel, like, it, it's hard to compare this to Captain Marvel, but I would say, uh, I'd say that I probably enjoyed both of them as much, but for very different reasons. Very different reasons. Captain Marvel fulfilled a lot of, like, when I, like, I really want to see a superhero woman and I really wanted it. And Captain Marvel finally gave it to me and that it gave me hope that maybe everything doesn't have to be Avengers related. So, um, I'm, I loved Captain Marvel and I think Brie Larson's a gift, Mm -hmm. gift. I do too. Um, but yeah, I would definitely recommend seeing this movie. Uh, and whenever you do, let us know what you thought about it. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, I guess with that being said, I think it's time for us to sign off and go get pizza. I think so, too. So uh, for Date Night at the Movies, I'm Jordan. I'm Jess. We'll see you next time. Bye.